Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. We actually wrote letters and, and you put a stamp on them. A United States stamp now is 49 cents for a single stamp. A single stamp. Wow. But as a culture, that's what we used to do. We, we, we would sit down and we'd handwrite letters. Do you remember back when people used to write letters and mail them? That seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? My, how times have changed. Almost everything today is done electronically. Whether it's on your phone, iPad, or a computer keyboard, information is shared instantaneously. In our fast-paced world today, we have even found ways to use a single letter in the alphabet to mean an entire word, and emojis to express feelings, thoughts, or sentiments. Yes, communication has certainly changed, but is communication better? Two 2,000-year-old letters can still have application for our life today because not only does God not change, ladies and gentlemen, human nature does not change. And the problems that confronted the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago still confront the church today. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Last week we started into a brand new series here at Cross Culture Church entitled Crossroads. It's going to be an in-depth study of the Apostle Paul's letters to the church in Corinth. Last week, Pastor Clay helped us understand some of the background concerning the city of Corinth and Paul's motivation for writing these letters. We also started into Paul's opening greeting to the church in verses 1 through 9. And he writes these letters because he begins to hear of some of the struggles. And to be sure, they were struggling. They were struggling with what was going on around them. And they are struggling with their own fleshly desires that all of us have. And we understand all of that. And so he writes to them and he writes to us things that are pertinent for our lives, even in the church today. In our communications in this digital world today, the opening greeting may not be as significant as it once was. But as we'll hear today, what Paul had to say in his opening greeting in these letters not only had a significant meaning for the church in Corinth, but it has a significant meaning for the church today. We're so glad you've joined us. Now here's Pastor Clay. Being a part of the body of Christ is, is really, really important. And so we give uh, this, this time to this series that we are calling Crossroads because literally the church in Corinth was at a crossroads as we looked at last week, crossroads of the, of the trade routes uh, both north and south and east and west in, in what was the majority of the known world at that time. It was at a crossroads, but also playing off of that, the idea that, that as we'll see as we make our way into this, this letter, that the cross is the intersection of where, where my life as a follower of Jesus Christ intersects with the world. How do I do this thing called Christianity or following Jesus? How do I do this in this world in which I live, in these responsibilities which I have in my job, in this, you know topsy-turvy, whatever all is going on, how do I do this life that is supposed to be the life in Christ? And so Crossroads, I think, is an appropriate a title. It's apropos. No, no uh, extra charge for that $5 word there. So, so we will not get to the rest of chapter 1 today, but we will dive back into the greeting because the greeting is some good stuff. Do y'all remember, well... If you're over 40 years of age, do you remember this thing that our culture used to do? It was called mailing letters. Do y'all remember? Do y'all remember 
for those of us that are over 40 that we actually wrote letters and, and you put a stamp on them. By the way, I heard the other day, what stamp, uh, you, uh, United States stamp now is 49 cents for a single stamp. A single stamp. Some of y'all know that I used, used to work for the post service for a number of years. You know, you know what a stamp cost when I went to work for the post office? But I'm telling my age. It, I, I, it was 8 cents and it just went to 15, I think. Just right when I started, just gone from 8 to 15. Wow. But, but as a culture, that's what we used to do. We, we, we would sit down and we'd handwrite. And some, I mean, obviously type sometimes too, business and all that stuff. But for the most part, they handwrote their letters. And when you did that, in those letters, these greetings tended to be maybe a little more in-depth, maybe said a little bit more or, or a little more flowery, if you want to put it that way. But, but you tended to put some thought into your greeting. Uh, I left my phone down there. But we don't do that anymore, do we? When we, when we contact... Instant message, text, whatever, right? As a matter of fact, about 50% of what we communicate is in emojis, right? Especially if you're Sebastian Pearson, that's for sure. At least 50% of what you communicate is emojis. By the way, by the way, just for fun, if you ever get a text from Sebastian, just for fun, have have Siri or whoever is, is, is your, your platform, have them read you your text out loud. It is hilarious. But right, we, we, don't, we, we don't do greetings like that anymore. We don't, we, don't, we don't do that anymore. Paul does. Man, Paul packs a lot of stuff in this, in this opening greeting, which he tends to do in almost all of his letters, if you've read it. And there's a lot of similarities in his letter. If you go through and you read all of Paul's epistles or letters, the epi- word epistle simply means a letter, if you go through those letters, uh, you'll find some, a lot of similarities in there. And in there, you find a lot of truth packed that, that we don't need to just gloss over. You know, nowadays, it's just like, hey, da-da-da-da-da, whatever. Smiley face, frowny face, whatever. Paul takes some time. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which means God's kind of guiding him in this. But these are Paul's thoughts. These are Paul's feelings. This is, this is based on what Paul's experiences as, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And he has some important stuff to say. Just to remind you, real quick, if you weren't here last week, then it's not a reminder. I'm telling you this for the first time. But Paul had founded the church in Corinth. He started that church on his, I think, his second missionary journey. And so... Uh, he, and he had not just founded it, you know, and said, all right, y'all, I hope y'all make it, do well. He spent a year and a half, he poured into the people of that church. He stayed there. And that probably wasn't easy for Paul because, you know, he, he was a guy that wanted to be on the go. He wanted to take the gospel everywhere God would give him opportunity. But he stayed there for a year and a half in that city and poured into their lives. And so now he's, he's, he's gone again. He's, he's back out on mission. Actually, he's in Ephesus at the time that he writes this letter. And and he gets word that some things are happening in Corinth. Some things weren't, there, there were some problems in the church in Corinth. I, I know it's hard to believe that there could ever be problems in a church, but, but there began to be some problems, some personality conflicts, some doctrinal issues, and all that kind of stuff. And so Paul says, I, I, I know I need to address this. By the way, the, he, also he was responding, the Corinthians were writing him and asking questions. And, and as we'll see as we make our way on to here, Paul has to begin to defend his apostleship, his his authority in the church, and all that kind of stuff. But in this opening greeting, I want to read it to you again from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and then chew on it for a few more minutes. And listen, this is my prayer, is that you're like, okay, 
written to the people in Corinth a long time ago, but now. And to even say this right now, even to in your mind, to just utter the fear, Holy Spirit, make application of, of what uh, you've given Clay to say, make application to it for my life, for my circumstance, for my situation right now where I am in my life. And if you do that, I believe, I believe God will always honor a prayer like that. I really do. Because he wants us to get it, right? He wants us to. He really does want us to get it. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, chapter 1. Have I had y'all stand in a few weeks? Y'all want to stand up? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, reading of God's word today, we'll just stand together. If you're able to stand, please, uh, please do. Let's read 1 through 9 again. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints, by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Notice the common bond he's making between them. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. That in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. So that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you are called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, Father, would you take your word, which we've We've read uh, out loud as just a way of, of uh, sharing that bond together. We've read it on the screen, read it out loud. And now, Father God, uh, what's most important is that we read it into our hearts and lives, that, that we make application, that we leave here today, whether people uh, take physical notes or, or not, Lord, that we'll leave here today taking note of what your word means and how it applies to our lives. And even in this, in this short opening greeting, nine verses, this greeting, what is the truth that would apply to my life, my home, my family, my work situation, my health, my, my financial uh, situation, whatever it is in my life, Lord God, how do these words make application to my life in my circumstances and my situation today? Well, that would always be my prayer for these people and those who would, would listen or, or watch this message uh, even later, Father God. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. And uh, just to remind you what we covered uh, last week in those verses 1 through 9, this opening greeting, uh, obviously more than just, hey, how you doing? Hope things going well. There's a lot more in there that we can unpack and make application for our lives. You ready? All right. So here's what we said last week. We started with this idea that we are called by God. There in verses 1 and and two, Paul says, called of God, uh, and then calling on the name of the Lord. And we emphasize that idea that we, that, that we have this calling from God, that he, he, is, he is extending, I believe, his grace calling, I believe, to anyone, to anyone who would call on the name of the Lord. And it's God's desire. I believe the truth is word that says that he's not willing, it's not his desire for any to perish. Now, that implies that there is a possibility of perishing, Right? And he is not wishing or willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that all should come into a relationship 
with him. So, so even in this opening uh, uh, shot that Paul takes, uh, in a good way, if you understand what I mean, he's, he's saying, hey, don't forget that God is calling, that God has called you. If you're in Christ, you've been called by God into his grace. And not only have you been called by God into that, you've been called by God into his service, into ministry, into this calling to engage the world around us. And uh, we'll get to this a little bit later, but one of the things that was going on in the first century church as time went on, a few years and all that stuff, you know, they began to think, well, okay, one of the last things Jesus said before he went back to heaven was that he was coming back again. Jesus kind of said that. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. It shows up here in this greeting. But they'd begin, well, I wonder, you know, what? Well, it's been a while. You know, what, what's happening? And so I gave you this verse last week, but can I just remind you of this verse in Second Peter uh, chapter 3? Where Peter says, kind of dealing with that question, the Lord's not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. We think that sometimes, don't we? About a lot of stuff. God, when are you going to do something in this? When are you going to change him? The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, watch this, but is patient toward you. Can anybody say, boy, I'm sure glad God is patient toward me. Uh, When I was, whoo. You don't even want to know. Patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so there's this desire on God's part for people to respond to his grace gift. And he's calling, he's drawing. It is his spirit who works in people's lives. Uh, you may, if you're here and you say, I know Christ is my Savior. I know that I've committed my life to Jesus Christ. I want you to hear me say this. You didn't just decide that yourself one day. You just didn't wake up, as I sometimes say. You didn't just wake up and say, oh, oh, oh I think I'll get saved today. No, you didn't. The Spirit of God drew you, quite honestly. Now, you, you may not know exactly how that worked, but, but the Spirit of God drew you in some way because God is drawing. God is calling. And that's important for you to understand. If you're here and you say, well, I, I don't know about the relationship. I'm not sure about this whole Jesus thing or where I am in that. Please just know God's, God is calling you. He, he's desiring a relationship with you. And if you're here and you say, well, I, I know I'm in Christ, then please know he's calling you too. He's calling you. He's calling me into, into this world around us to engage this world and see how others can come to know the God of grace and mercy and love, okay? So uh, there, we are called of God. That's the first thing Paul uh, brings out. The second thing, and we looked at this also last week, is that we have grace and peace from God. Would y'all say that out loud with me, please? We have grace and peace. Good, good job. We have grace and peace from God. And I talked about this last week, but uh, biblically speaking, grace always precedes peace. Grace always comes uh, in all of Paul's letters, in Peter's letters, and grace always comes before peace because the truth is there cannot be any peace, not ultimately in your life, without God's grace in your life. I, I truly believe that. I, I really believe that. I believe that's the testimony of Scripture, but also believe it just as a person who's experienced it in his life, that it's the grace of God that comes first. And, 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 and one of the things that we said, we had a couple different uh, sub uh, points underneath that, but one of them was that God's grace uh, brought peace with God. We talked about that, Romans 5.1, Romans 5.10, uh, that idea that, that, uh, that, that we have peace with God. It's literally what it says in, in Romans 5.1 and in 5.10. It says, even while we were enemies of God, because of our sin, because of our choosing to do life ourselves, we, we, were, we were against God. But even then, we can be saved through this relationship with Jesus Christ. So, so God's grace brought peace with Him, first and foremost. But then what we also said was that God's grace Bought, brought then brought peace from God. That was the second uh, division statement. If you were here last week, you may remember that. There, a sub point 
that it brought peace from God, that now peace is possible in my life as a result of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I gave you a lot of verses last week. Go back and listen to that message. You can hear some of those verses. It just can be an, hopefully be an encouragement to you. But I did want to give you one of them uh, again. It's from Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. In the New Living Translation, it reads like this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then, notice this process, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That last sentence there, His peace will guard your hearts and your minds. What's the rest of it? As you live in Christ Jesus. So what's he talking about? He's talking about this continual uh, living in the reality of who I am in Christ and this relationship with him. In other words, oh, well, I was, I was saved, and so now, no. He's talking about now I'm living in this reality, and it's effects on my life every day. And because I'm doing that, then I'm in position to experience this peace of God in my life, this peace from God that comes to me. I think I made mention of this last week. I know that I've said it before, but this is the truth. People look for peace in all the wrong places. They, they really do. People look for peace in, in wealth, or in, in relationships, or in uh, some type of stimulant, or some type of experience, or some type of relationship, or another relationship. People look for peace in the places that, that would seem the most natural place to search for them. Because, because it, it, in my relationships, well, I don't have peace, so I need to find a, a relationship that'll work, and then I'll have peace there. Or, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I'm stressed out because I don't have enough money, so if I want peace, I need to get more money, and then I'll have peace. So, you understand what I'm saying? It's the natural place to look for peace. The problem is, we got a 6,000-year track record of, of the history of mankind to prove that it, it doesn't work. It doesn't. It doesn't bring lasting peace. Now, it, it, for truth, truth be told, it might can bring some type of short reprieve from anxiety or fear or stress or, or loneliness or uh, bored, boredom or something like that. We might can find some activity, some things, purchase something, meet someone. We might can do something that can bring some sense of a, of a uh, temporary fix, if you will. And so people keep looking for it in the, those same places. Again and again and again. Because I felt something. I had something for a few moments. It, it was better for a few months. It was something. So, so now I've lost that. I've got to go get it again. I've got to go find another one, another one, another one, another one. God offers us so much more than that. I, I, I wish you could hear me say that. God offers us so much more than that. He wants us to have so much more than that. I want to ask you a question this morning. And this question is not intended to make you feel bad if this does not describe your life. But would your family members, would your neighbors, would your co-workers, would they describe you? Would they say, man, he or, or she, they never seem stressed out. They never seem to worry about anything. They, they, they always seem to be just going along and everything seems, seems fine. They, they don't worry about it. They, they just always seem to have, the, have it together and they, they, don't, they just seem to be, would, would, would people that you know describe your life that way? Would people that you know describe your marriage as a marriage filled with peace? Now listen, Cindy and I certainly don't get it right all the time. But it it so blessed me the other day, uh, just this week, I guess it was just this week, uh, one of our neighbors said to us, do you guys ever fight? (laughs) And again, 
Believe me, we don't get it right all the time. You should have seen the shiner I had at one time. That, no, not, not really. Not really. Stop it. No, but so we don't get it right all the time. But, but what I'm saying is, at some point, does this stuff actually come out? At some point, does it actually become real to us? When, 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 when Paul says, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, at some point, does that become real? Again, I'm not asking you that question to make you feel bad if that's not how you would describe your life or, or, or your emotions or, or your marriage or you know, your family or whatever. I'm not asking you to make you feel bad. I'm asking you that question because I want you to think about it because if that does not describe your life, then there's a disconnect, right? Something's wrong somewhere and, and I don't think it's here. I don't think it's him. So if I'm not experiencing that, you understand what I'm saying? If I'm not experiencing this type of peace that passes all understanding, then, then there's some, something's wrong somewhere. And the next step then would be to figure out why don't I have that? I, I know I know Jesus as my Savior. I know I'm following him, trying to be. So if I'm not having this, why, why don't I have this? By the way, that's what my non-New York Times best-selling book is all about. How to live in the reality of the promises of God. Available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and I don't know where else. Uh, anyway. How do, how do I actually live in the reality of this stuff? Okay? So, here's this. He, 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 we, have, we have grace and peace from God. Now, here's the, here's the third one, the first new one for this week. Let's jump into it. We are equipped through God. We're called by God. We have grace and peace from God. And now, next thing in this, this just, oh, he's just saying, hey. He's just, saying, he's just greeting them. But in there, we see that we are equipped through God. Let me read it uh, again, verse 4 and first part, all the way to the first part of verse 7. Listen to what he says. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. So you have this provision of God's grace if you're in relationship, if you've come to know him. He's writing to the believers at the church in Corinth. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus that in I'm sorry, what's that next word? Okay, I just want to make sure that my eyes weren't fooling me or something. I, for a minute there, I thought it said that in some things. What does it say again? What does it say again? I know, y'all, don't get aggravated with me. That in everything you would be enriched in him. In all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning you, concerning Christ was confirmed in you, We've seen it in you. We've seen how God's making this provision in you. So that you are not lacking in any gift. Now, obviously, the peace that we talked about extensively last week and and just mentioned again, obviously, uh, the peace of God, that would be part of that scenario, right? That'd be part of the gift of God that a person would experience uh, in in their life. But, But stop. I want you to think about this a minute. Stop a minute and just think about this. Everything you need to live the life that God wants you to live and have. Everything you need to accomplish every purpose and intention that God has for your life is already yours. You already have it. Now, you may not be living in it. You you may not be experiencing it. You, You may not even understand what it is at this point. But... Paul says, everything you need, God has equipped you for what God has called you to do. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. There is nothing lacking for your life. 
if, this is, it, it, God's always conditional in this kind of stuff, if we're surrendered to him, submitted to him, and his will for our life. Can I, can I just say this to all of us this morning? Ladies and gentlemen, in your life, God wants you to succeed. He really does. God wants you to have success as he defines it. God wants you to have success in your life. God wants you to experience all that he wants you to experience. God wants you to accomplish in the however many years you're here, right? And none of us know, none of us know how long we're going to be here. He wants you to accomplish all that he has for you to accomplish in this lifetime. And he will withhold nothing from you that you need to do that. I think that's an amazing thought. God doesn't hold it back. I, I think I've told this before. So some of you heard this before. But when I was in seminary, I had the privilege of, of doing really a lot of uh, revivals, speaking to a lot of churches and being a guest speaker at a lot of different places. And I was doing a revival one time at, uh, you know, a little country church. I, I don't, honestly, I don't even remember where it was. But, um, you know, nice, nice folks. And the revival, I think, went from Sunday, started Sunday morning. And I think it went through Wednesday night. I don't think it went all the way to Friday. I think it went through Wednesday night. So Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night was this revival service that I was I was preaching at and uh and it was a good service and and it was it was God there's neat neat things happening and and people were responding and it was full every night and it's really good and every night the pastor uh, would take up an offering and uh he would say something to the effect of you know well, we're going to take up an offering now for the speaker and you know if you've been blessed by these messages you know I just want you to give and whatever all he said and, and the people really apparently really did they really responded they opened their checkbooks and their wallets, and, and, they, and they really responded well. And they responded so well that at the end of the last night of the revival service, the deacons were told how much money had been uh, collected. And, and I, don't, I don't remember the exact amount, but it was, it was over $1,000 had been uh, collected for moi, for the, for the preacher and his wife, um, you know, to help them in seminary and all that kind of stuff. Well, when the deacons found out how much money had taken up, they said, oh, oh, that is too much money to give that preacher boy. We cannot give him that, all that money. And, and so, uh, they never forget, when the pastor, he's, bring, you know, and I, he's like bringing me this envelope at the end. I'm, we're getting ready to leave, and, he's, and I can tell he's like, you know. And I, I, mean, I wouldn't have known. Right? There's no way I'd have known if he hadn't told me. I'd have thought, man, those people are cheap. But no, that's not what I thought. But, no, I mean, I wouldn't have known if he just handed me a check. And, and I think the check was for like $200 or something like that. The, the check was for. It would have covered our gas and stuff. Uh, uh, but he's like all downtrodden. He said, I, I said Clay, I, I hate to tell you this. He said, but I, I just want you to know the people really, really, really gave. And of course, I had not looked at the envelope at that point. The people really, really gave. But the deacons decided it was too much money to give you. And so they said you could have this much. And listen, can I tell you something? God will never withhold anything from you. God will never say, oh, oh, no, that's too much for him. Oh, oh, oh she, doesn't, she doesn't deserve that much. God will never withhold anything from you that you need to accomplish what he has for you to do in your life. Uh, James, maybe you've read this, James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Watch this, I love this. With whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Y'all know what that means? Let me tell you what that means. If you grew up in a home like I grew up in, I grew up on a dairy farm, and in my home, if it had been a bad day at the barn, if there was some sort of problem with the cows, if there was some sort of problem with the machinery, 
If, if, there was something, if there was something going on that would affect my dad's emotional state, you learned pretty quickly that this was not the time to approach him and ask for money to the, to the dance after the football game Friday night. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Hey, listen, our, our, our Heavenly Father, there is no variation or shifting shadow. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8. He never changes. And the love that He extends to you, He always extends you. The, 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 the purposes and plans and even the, the things that He has for you to accomplish what He has for your life, he, they're right there. He wants you to have them. He wants you to have success. If you would come to Him and humble yourself and submit to His authority in your life and say, Lord, God, what do you want? I'll follow you. You know, you find that historically uh, in the Old Testament, in, in, in the life, basically, of, of the, the Hebrews, the Jewish people. You find that. What did God say? Man, guys, if you, if you come here, if you come underneath my umbrella provision, so to speak, man, I'll take you into land flowing with milk and honey. I'll, ma- I'll meet every need that you have. I'll protect you from your enemies. I'll do all this stuff. But listen, if you go off on your own, if you go in this direction, or you follow this God or that, if you do this thing, all bets are off. It's basically what God said to them. And of course, you know, oh yeah, God, we're with you. Until, ooh, shiny. Right? And they'd wander off. And here would come the enemy. Pow, pow, pow. And here would come a famine and drought and all stuff. And of course, they run back under the provision of, oh God, we're so sorry. Could describe our life in a lot of circumstances, couldn't it? God says, man, I, I, I got everything for you. I'll meet everything. Now let me say this real quickly. We've got to move on. What time is it? Oh, got to move on. Let me say this real quickly. Now, everybody else looked at their watch when I said that, or their, their phone, or whatever. Don't say that anymore, Clay. That does not mean, when I say that God will meet every provision that we have, and God will provide everything we need to accomplish everything that you have in your life, what's in front of you, all that stuff, that does not mean that God is the giant Visa card in the sky, some sort of cosmic concierge that we can just... Concierge, did I say that right? Some sort of cosmic concierge that we can just... Uh, call up and say, oh, I'd like six of this, or I'd like to have lots of prosperity for the next two years. Uh, you, you know what I'm saying? It's not how it works. It's not how it works. Because that's not best for us. Not because God couldn't do it if he wanted to, but because it's not what's best for us. And since he's a loving parent, he's never going to do what's not best for us, right? Would you ever do what was not best for your kids? It doesn't mean that we don't that we don't dig in and say, God, I want to grow in my relationship with you. I want to know you. I, I, want, to, I want to study your word. I want to know it more in depth because that's how I'll get to know you. God, I want to act more like you. I want to walk more with you. God, I want to... So it doesn't mean we don't, oh, I just, I just got to meet my provision. No, there, there's this relationship going on. But, but what Paul is saying, what he's reminding the Corinthians, what he's reminding us is that our God is able to meet perfectly every single need that we have in our life. That's good stuff. All right, and here we go. Here, here's, here's the... Uh, uh, the fourth, I guess, idea of the five. Watch this. We are in anticipation of God. Y'all didn't seem very excited about that, but we are in anticipation. Look at the last part of verse seven. Look what he, you know, I know Paul's right, but he's not. Listen, God's guiding him in this and what he's saying, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul talks about the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's not talking about the last book in the Bible called the book of Revelation. No, he's talking about the actual, actual, literal, physical, bodily return of Jesus Christ to this earth. That's what he's talking about. And listen, 
Am I shouting? Am I shouting? It's a good shouting part. Listen, I know, I understand that when you talk about the return of Christ, this, this person that lived 2,000 years ago, that historically is, is unquestionable. Uh, there's no question that both secular and biblical history confirm the reality of Jesus Christ, his, his life, his birth, his death, all that's historically verifiable. But I understand this guy that lived 2,000 years ago, and we say he rose from the dead three days later, and he went back to heaven. And so when you begin to say, and, bonus, he's coming back someday. I fully understand that when you say that to the world or out in the world, it's crazy talk. It's crazy time. I, I, I don't ever doubt that that's how people perceive it. Don't ever doubt that you begin to talk to somebody about, you know, Jesus coming back one of these, one of these days. Don't ever doubt that in there, if they don't actually literally do it, what they're, what they're thinking is, uh-huh, uh-huh, nurse, nurse! Because you are crazy. This is crazy talk. It is, as we'll see in the rest of chapter 4, this is foolishness to those who are perishing, who are without a relationship with Jesus Christ. That, that, that's essentially what the Apostle Paul says. It's foolishness, but I, I'm, just gonna, I'm here to declare to you that I'm more than willing to be thought a fool for Jesus Christ. And to actually believe. And listen, by the way, bonus... Since this book is batting a thousand in every other predicted prophecy that it's made that has already come to pass, I'm willing to put my money on it for the rest of the prophecy that's yet to come. There in verse uh, 7, the word awaiting, uh, the verb actually awaiting, is a degree of earnestness and intensity. The way Lightfoot puts it, a degree of earnestness and an intensity of expectation. The fact that it's in the present tense means that it's an ongoing intensity and expectation of the return of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Does that describe the way you approach or the way you think about the return of Christ? Do you do, you do it with a degree of eagerness and expectation and anticipation that Christ is that on a daily basis how you think about the return of Jesus Christ? Most of us would say, no, I don't. That's not really how I, I think about it. Let me tell you why I think that's so critically important. Because without a doubt, the return of Jesus Christ was the most important factors in the insane growth and acceleration of the church in the first century. It's because, as I said a moment ago, Jesus said, guys, I'm, I'm going away. And remember the angels, said, even when he literally, as he went out of sight, the, the angels said to the disciples, men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking around? What are you staring into the sky for? The same Jesus whom you've seen go shall come again in like manner. Therefore... Hit the bricks, get on, hit the road, get going. And so, and you can understand this, the first century church like, oh my gosh, Jesus is coming back. Uh, what is, what's today? It's Tuesday, let's get going, right? And so they're like, Tom, let me tell you about Christ. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. Sally, have you heard this in the good news? And they're just everywhere because Jesus is coming back. But I'm just telling you, somewhere along the way, the church has lost that. We've lost the eager anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. And I think it's hurting the church. I really think that the church overall, us as a church, because if, if we're living this eager expectation, this anticipation, then it will affect how we interact with people. To think about that on a daily basis. You know, if, if you're a child here, then you can still relate to this. But those of us that may be grown, do you remember, remember how you used to feel uh, when Christmas season approached? I mentioned earlier that Christmas is coming. you remember how you used to feel when Christmas season, as Christmas season approached? Right? There, there was this growing sense of anticipation, wasn't there? Some of you even had like the 
some of you still have it. You have like the, the calendar thing of month of December and you're clicking off every day or there's some symbol or whatever because you're one day closer to Christmas, right? And like Christmas Eve is like, forget about it. You know, there's just, can't think about anything else. There, it's almost electric, the anticipation that you have because you know tomorrow morning it's going to be good, right? It's, it's going to be good tomorrow morning. There's this anticipation. But think about this. I've never met anybody that had that anticipation on December 26th. Nobody's anticipating Christmas on December 26th. Why? That's a whole year away. That's just a long time. And what has happened is it's been a long time since Jesus made that promise. It has been. From, from our perspective, 2,000 years is a long time. Not from God's, but, but from ours it is. And so it's been a long time, and that anticipation has dwindled. And people, quite honestly, rarely even think about the return of Christ. Can I just couple of verses that Paul mentions here or in some of his letters in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to what he says. In the future there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, would you read that last part with me please? But also to all who have loved his appearing. In other words, those people, they're, they're looking for it. It means, is today the day Christ is coming back? Am I living my life in a way that I'm going to be happy when he comes back? Or am I going to be embarrassed? You know what I'm saying? Okay, Titus uh, chapter 2. What, this is interesting, watch this. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. All right, so there's this, this practical, hey, here, this Jesus stuff is calling you out of the life you used to live, calling you to live the way God says to live. We're instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. That's where our focus is. Here it is, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be, what? Revealed. When he, when he shows up. When he shows up. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. Isn't it interesting that in the middle of this instruction about, now you're, if you're a follower of Christ, now here, there, God has some expectation of how you live your life and a life of holiness as he defines it and what that means and how, what you ought to walk away from and, and here, you're living for Christ now, you're, that's, that's your life and that's all important. Uh, and, and then right in the middle of that is this, is this word about the return of Christ. See, that, that's part of the motivation to, to, to do it, to keep, to keep doing it. See, here's the way I, I, I put it. To the return of Christ to this world is motivation for living for Christ in this world. You see, I, I, I know he's coming back. I, I, know, I don't know when it will be for sure. I don't. I have a lot of indications in my personal experience and what I know of Scripture that I, I believe we're close. God defines that. I don't know when it will be, but I know that it will be. And so I need to live my life as if it will be. And the knowledge that he's coming back to this world should help me to live for him in this world. Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, no matter what you have to go through, no matter what you experience in this life as a follower of Christ or just in the world in general, the calamities, the, the, the circumstances, the problems, no matter what you have to do, if you live your life for Jesus Christ, and that doesn't mean, that, and we don't get to skate by, we don't get, right? It doesn't mean, oh, nothing bad will happen to him. He's a follower of Jesus. We know that's not true. But no matter what you have to experience in your life as the, the famous great, preacher of yesteryear rg lee famously said there's a payday coming someday there's a payday coming someday and so no matter what happens i can look forward with the realistic expectation anticipating god is today the day now listen to me i don't know if today is the day or not but if i live my life 
with the reality that it could be today, then I, I kind, of, kind of think that that might then impact the way I live my life, the way I approach people, what I think about, what I put a priority on, if I'm thinking about that. So I challenge you with this, then we'll move on real quickly and close out. This year I've been challenging Cross Culture Church to, to build in the discipline every day in your life to every time you meet a person, to be thinking about them from the perspective of eternity. Where will this person spend eternity? I've challenged you with that since the beginning of the year. I've been asking you to ask yourself that question. Where will this person spend eternity? Hashtag ask the, the question. I can also likewise say to you, because it's not too much to put on you, to also challenge you to, to build in the discipline of thinking every day about the return of Jesus Christ. Because it's going to happen one of these days. And if it, if it is, if it's a reality, if, if God's word is always true, and I believe that it is, then he is going to return. And if I, if I have that knowledge, if I'm, if I'm thinking about that fresh, if it's on my mind every day, it will impact the way I live my life that day. Absolutely will impact the way I live my life. Okay? All right, one more, uh, real, real quickly. Last one. We are protected in God. Listen to what he says. Who will, we're talking about Christ, who will also confirm you to the, say that word, end, who also will confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is, uh, doctrinally speaking, this, this is what is known as uh, the eternal security of the believers, what Paul's talking about here. He's confirming this reality in their life. This is in, in, in doctrinal circles, this is referred to as the eternal security of the believer. In other words, the idea that a person who is, who is truly, honestly uh, repented of the of life they were living and turned to Christ by faith in his finished work on the cross, that that person is, is secure in Christ and that they can never lose that relationship that they have with God as a result of Christ's finished work on the cross. It's the eternal, the eternal security of the believer. It's sometimes also referred to by, especially by those that don't tend to hold to this doctrine, it's sometimes referred to as the, uh, once saved, all, always saved. Oh, you're part of the once saved, always saved crowd. Sometimes referred to uh, in, in, that, in that way. But I want you to notice what Paul says. Notice what he says here. That he says that it is our Lord Jesus Christ who shall also confirm you to the end. So who is it confirming you? That's right. Who's confirming you? It's Jesus. And how long is he confirming you? That's right. To the end. That's what he says. That he's confirming you to the end. The word confirm there, it's a, a, the, the, the verb in, in the original language in the Greek is, is a future tense, con, uh, continuous active uh, in its application. In other words, it's an event chronologically that is still out in the future, but it's already having its effect on my life and will continue to have its effect on my life. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's good news. <laughs> now listen to me, because some people believe that salvation is, is yeah, Jesus died on the cross, but, some, but you have to work there's stuff you have to do to work to earn your salvation. Listen, that is not, that is not a scriptural concept. Uh, I, I do work, I do serve the Lord, but I do it as a result of my salvation, not in order to earn my salvation. And there's a very stark distinction there. But, but uh, w- when people that, that think that they can work for the salvation, 
listen, can I say this? If, if, if I worked for my salvation, then it would make sense that I could lose my salvation. If I could work to earn it, then it makes complete sense that I could blow it, that I could do something. But ladies and gentlemen, salvation, listen, <laughs> salvation is a work of God. Let me just, Tyler, bring it up on the screen. My salvation is a work of God. And ladies and gentlemen, God always finishes what he starts. God always finishes what he starts. You and I can think of a thousand instances where we started something and <sighs> quit on it. God started on you. This is not good English. God started on you and he ain't quitting until he takes you home. There's a few passages of scripture real, real quickly. John chapter 10. Now, now listen to this. And I give eternal life to them, to, to, his, to his father, to his children. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I want to ask you a quick question before I go to the next verse. How long is eternal life? Yeah, it's not, it's not a trick question. How long is eternal life? It's forever. Now let me ask you this. If you could lose eternal life, then please tell me at what point was it eternal? You understand what I'm saying to you? Oh, you, oh, you, had, you, had, uh, you had two month life. Oh, you had two year life. Oh, you, did, oh, you had 20 year life. You had a good run, but you had 20 year life. It's not what he says, is it? Ladies and gentlemen, by definition, by definition, the life that God gives to us must be forever because that's what eternal life is. That's, that's good. Okay. All right, here we go. Romans 8. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced, watch this, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, what a good word. If I could still jump, that's a place where I'd go, mm. Actually, I never could jump very, very high. I think I... I think I cleared a, a, a small uh, wiener dog one time, but that's about it. Okay, one more. Here we go. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Here's a good word. Some of you have already been saying it under your breath. In him you also, after hearing the word of truth, you, you heard it, you responded to it, the gospel of your salvation, and after believing in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Until the redemption, until you trade, until you, until you cash it in. It's already been purchased. Until it's cashed in. And it hadn't been cashed in yet. You're living in it, but you, had, you hadn't experienced it yet. We hadn't experienced it yet, folks. We getting there. <laughs> until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. It's not anything I did. It's what he did. To the glory of God. He has saved me, so he has sealed me. And he has guaranteed that he is going to protect me. Our protection in this relationship with God, is protected by Him. God does this work. So in the meantime, our prayer as we make our way through this, this Corinthian letter, and we're going to look at a lot of different stuff in here, but as we make our way through that, my prayer is that by the time we get to the end of this road, we will be living and looking more like Jesus as, as we realize, as we, as we live in the reality of this greeting, that God has, that God has called me, that God has provided His grace and His peace to me, that God is coming back to get me, that God has provided everything I need for the life that he's called me to, and that God is going to protect me until that day, until the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, as they used to say in the old, amen, even so, come Lord Jesus. 
while there's quite a bit to chew on in the Apostle Paul's opening greeting of his letter to the church in Corinth, wouldn't you agree? Remember, Paul had founded this church several years earlier on one of his missionary journeys. He had invested much in the believers there. And even though he couldn't be there in person, he still had a heart to pour into their lives and remind them of all that was theirs as followers of Jesus Christ. As we will begin to see next week, there were some serious problems in the church in Corinth, and Paul was going to confront them head on. But before he did, Paul reminded them of the provision that they have from God for all they need in life, the promise they have of Jesus' return, and the protection they have in their relationship with Christ. What a great God we serve. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.